Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hail from the Bleachers. I am Matt Farrell, your host, and alongside me as always, my faithful co-host, Chance Vineyard Crouch. What's going on, Chance? I'm doing fantastic today. You want to know why? Why is that? Last week's game was dramatic. It was intense. Right down to the wire, it was great. Western Michigan <laughs> is down 10 with 50 <laughs> seconds left. They get a touchdown. 45 seconds. They miss the extra point. They're down four. They get the onside kick. Bunch of reviews. Was it a touch? Was it not a touch? Doesn't matter. Western gets the ball. 43 seconds left. They drive down the field. No timeouts. Get down to about the seven. Then have the cojones that P.J. Fleck never had while at Western. It's every week I ask him to go for it on fourth and whatever. Never did. So they had the cojones to do a fake spike touchdown pass to the corner. Western wins the game. Western, hands down, is the best team in the state of Michigan. And going into this week's Wednesday matchup against rival Central Michigan, they will prove why they are the best team in the state and be undefeated looking to claim another MAC championship. F the chips. F the chips. I don't know. Eastern Michigan, we don't really know a whole lot about them this year. I don't know how they're doing. Um, They are not undefeated. Western's undefeated. Well, they played one game. F the Eagles, too. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the Broncos did do great, but we're here to talk about, unfortunately... Whoa, whoa. this was a podcast about the best team in the state. Yeah. And I defend Western's that. Well, I agree. I agree. Uh, Western Michigan certainly looked the part. Um, regarding our Wolverines, didn't go so well. Um, for those of you who watched... Uh, you're probably uh, equally as uh, sort of at a loss as we are. Um, Michigan played Wisconsin this last Saturday. Uh, Wisconsin coming into the game was ranked number 13 in the nation. Um, we expected, I mean, I expected a Wisconsin win, so I really wasn't surprised by the outcome per se. Wisconsin did win. Um, I was more surprised, not at their level of play. I was, I was surprised by our... Lack of play. Yes. Like, that's saying something because I had already lowered expectations and tempered expectations after the Michigan State loss and the Indiana loss. Because you, as the season goes on, obviously you're kind of dialing your radar on what you're expecting from this team. And three games in, it was like, okay, expectations need to be a lot different. Michigan State wasn't a fluke. We lost because we they were the better team. Um, after this clear after Indiana, we are not in even the second tier of Big Ten teams this year. But watching us get our butts handed to us in the big house by Wisconsin, um, it was demoralizing. It was bad. Wisconsin ended up winning the game 49 to 11. Um, just to kind of give you a snapshot of the game as a whole, Michigan passed for a total of 98 yards on the day, or at least Joe Milton did. Um, I don't know if that... 172 on the day. 172 on the day. Um, we ran for a whopping total of 47 yards. And con- uh, conversely, Wisconsin threw for 341 and ran... Nope. Wisconsin threw for 127 and ran oh, the ball ran for 341. down our throats. Yes. Um, as you might imagine, Wisconsin might try to do. We've seen them try to do that in, in seasons past. Jonathan Taylor, 
Melvin Gordon, and for the most part, we've contained those good backs when we played them, but not the not the case this year. And the, they don't even have a good running back. That's the thing, is that we are just that bad. They could do whatever they wanted. And they decided, let's just kill the clock, run the ball. And they went on, like, seven-minute drives, eight-minute drives, just killing the clock, yeah. getting the touchdown they need. They don't really care. Yeah, and, you know, Graham Mertz, we, we weren't sure going up to the game if he was going to play or not. We found out shortly beforehand he was available to play. But um, he didn't even look like a world beater. He looked like... I mean, he'd practice one time in three weeks. Right. I mean, he looked good. He threw for 127 and two touchdowns. He, he was very effective, but he, he didn't look like the world beater we saw against, what was it, um, Illinois? And mm-hmm. week one, before all the cancellations. And so it was really just our defense is not good. Weird. I mean, the worst part about this is that Wisconsin had one practice in two weeks. Yeah. And they did that. Yeah, and I, I, so I got into, I don't know me trying to do this, but I got into a spat with somebody um, on social media um, regarding whether or not that was a pro or a con for Wisconsin, because they were coming at it from, because I brought up the point, like, this is, this is an ugly loss, especially coming from, you know, losing so badly to a team that hadn't practiced or played a game in a, the better part of a month, and the guy goes, so you mean they're well rested? I was like, yeah, but yeah, but they're cold. They're cold. They can't even practice. Right. They, like they seize football activities. It's not like they're yeah. all in the gym. Well, they. I mean, maybe they were working out. I don't know if they're allowed to do that or not. I don't believe but they were. So they're not, they're not in the practice field running plays. They can't do stuff as a team at all. Yeah, they're not looking at fi- not in the film room. They're I mean, not. They probably did Zoom stuff or Google Meet stuff or whatever, sure. just as like a supplement. But that's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same as running drills, running yeah. plays yeah. with the with the with the first team. It's like, it's like, an NBA player coming into a game hasn't practiced in several weeks. He's gonna look a little bit slower and sluggish at first. Uh, but I mean, Wisconsin came out the gate. They game planning was better. Um, play was better. Despite the the vast talent difference on paper, Wisconsin just looked way way better. Davis, their receiver, went off. Uh, like you said, uh, I can't remember his first name, but Berger, the running back, uh-huh. really haven't heard a whole lot about him, but he looked the part. Um, hard to tell if it's just our defense or if he's actually that good, but man, probably both. Yeah, so it was ugly. Um, I think the biggest takeaway coming out of this week is that something. More deeply rooted, I think, is wrong with this team as a whole. Not saying the the program is, you know, the, some people have gone as far as to say there's a culture issue. I don't know about that yet. Um, there are things that might lend to that sort of thought where, you know, if you, see, you saw some of the body language of players after the second touchdown that Wisconsin scored, they were standing straight up, kind of head down. But you might expect that after being run off the field after the first quarter. I'm more so concerned with is there trust trust issues between players, between coaches and players, between players and coaches. Because um, I, I thought about it. I was, I was trying to put myself in some of the players' shoes. And we'll get into it, but, like, just some of the play calling seems really strange. Oh. Um, not even bad, just, like, no. out there. All right. The play calling... I mean, was, it is bad. was awful. It is bad. Josh Gaddis deserves to have the play calling ripped out of his hands and given back to Jim Harbaugh. 
You are down. I think it was down 21, third and eight. Oh, I know what you're and you do an about. outside run? An outside run. It was third and long, too. Yeah, third and eight, an outside run. Do you honestly think you're going to get eight yards? Are you throwing in the towel in the first quarter? That right. No, we can't, we can't do anything. We're just going to do an outside run. And they got like three yards, four yards. Mm-hmm. That is not a play you're going to get a first down. Like that, that would be a play if it's like third and eighteen, and you're just trying to give yourself something, right? Like what you is for the punter to just help the, the punter? What's out. the long term thinking there? I have no idea. And the next, so fourth and goal from the one. Yep, that's what I was going to say that one. Um, Joe Melton six five, probably two twenty two thirty minimum. Mm-hmm. Probably more than that. Six uh, five. Why is he not under center? If you're running why a sneak, is he, yeah, yeah. What if you're gonna run a draw or a sneak, whatever you want to do? Why is he not understand? He could literally just take the ball, snap it, and just stick it between the center's right. legs and get a touchdown. Right, and so that's for, all he needed to do. For those of you listening, what we're talking about is Michigan. Since Josh Gaddis has arrived, it runs um, their offense from the shotgun. What that means is that the quarterback is a couple of yards back from the offensive line, and they, you know, they snap the ball back to to the quarterback. But they have done. They've, under center stuff this year, so it's confusing why they didn't bit of do it, that. Yeah, primarily from the shotgun, so it's where the center almost does like the toss to the quarterback versus just the handoff. It's not what we were used to seeing from Michigan previously. Everything was under center. So what we're talking about is on the goal line, we're like the half yard line or whatever. This is the the drive where had a couple big plays. I think it was the mm-hmm. one with the long throw to Giles Jackson. It was the long one, with, or that one, with the throw to Giles. I yeah, think. and so it's like, okay, we're getting a little bit of this theme going here. I think we had just gotten a stop, too, so it's like it was the yeah. first stop of the game for the defense. Okay, let's try to build on this, see if we can get back in this game. So we get down to the half-yard line. You would you want to start with the ball as close to the goal line as you can if you're running with the quarterback, right? Makes sense because he has less room to go. Instead, what Chance is saying and what we saw was Josh Gaddis called a play, a design quarterback draw, where Joe is already four or three to four yards behind yeah. the line. So Which he, is fine if you give him like if he is a great lead block, but the lead block wasn't there. Right. Or so if you're like why, running to yeah, the outside, like a like sweep. You have the esteemed quarterback in your history of Tom Brady, who is a master of the quarterback sneak. A master it's not hard. No. You, you the center him. snaps the ball and he just goes forward, and you <laughs> yeah. just stick your head right on his butt and follow him in. Right. Like, this is a big boy you're following. He can get you the half yard. It is ridiculous. They did that. And, like, the most frustrating part is there are the flashes of the potential of this offense, the pass the Giles. Yeah. And when Cade McNamara came in later, we'll t- I'm sure we'll talk about how you have the flashes where this offense is good, mm-hmm. but. Then if that's like literally maybe a tenth of the time. Yeah. And then the other tenth is, what are you doing? This is not <clears throat> the speed and space you promised. It's not like you – it's truly unfortunate that this season was the 2020 season where there's no – none of these like Mac schools or other small schools to beat up on in the beginning of the year and build some confidence. Right. Because I'll, I was going to get to it with my Haley S, but I'll do it now. Uh, we are starting – I believe, 17 non-seniors. So these are people that are redshirt juniors or below that. So they all can come back one more year. 17. That is insane. Most of these players have not started prior to this. So like they are truly coming in on just practice experience and maybe a little bit of game experience. Mm-hmm. So it is like 
they needed these extra games against the crappy teams just to kind of build some build some self confidence. Yeah. Because that that goes into my next thing. So like the, this team is just lethargic. It, it every game they come in slow and without without much energy. And honestly, it's because Harbaugh is more of a Harbaugh's a professional coach. And I'm not saying that like coaching is his profession, but he's a professional coach. He's a coach that he's designed for the professional game. He's expecting his players to basically come in with the self confidence and the self-starting mentality of a professional football player. Because mm-hmm. in the pros, if you can't do that, you're gone. Right. So he's expecting his team to do that, and in years like 2016, it works. And then when you have players like Devin Bush that are great self-starters, it works. When you have these young guys that don't have the self-confidence and the experience back to go back on, it is just falling flat. And I think that is the primary problem. He's not, he's not a player's coach. He's a... He's he's a professional coach. He's expecting your his players to come at this with the workman like mentality, and it's not the modern where you need to like coddle your players more. Right, right. And he treats everyone the same, which is again fine when you're a professional coach. But when you have these four and five stars coming in, they were the man at their school. They're used to some coddling and some helping, but yeah, and. It's a pro that he treats everyone the same, but it's also a con because he's treating the walk-on the same as, like, the five-star starter. Yeah. And that's obviously two completely different things, but right. to, they do need not, like, preferential treatment, but you have to react. many of them are used to the, uh, like, uplifting coach and the self, like, the supporting coach. And Harbaugh's just not that and doesn't appear he has much of that on his staff. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, I mean, you see it in his, in his um, the way he talks to the media, the way he, he coaches. I mean, you maybe even see it on the sideline nowadays. A lot of people are talking about, well, you know, Harbaugh isn't as animated or, like, aggressive as he used to be with, like, bad calls. Like, he doesn't, like, get as into it. You know, there's, I think a lot of these... The soul of Jim Harbaugh was ripped out when J.T. Barrett was marked that half-yard forward. I was going to say, it does seem like... He looks like how when a president goes into their presidential, uh, like time in office and when they leave the before and the after <laughs> like, he age, looks like yeah. <laughs> he looks dead he looks drained of all energy he looks lost he does he looks like he has been like through war and yeah. through hell and it is so confusing what has happened in this period of time yeah so i guess before we go too much further let's let's sort of bring it in here so we obviously feel some kind of way about the state of this current michigan football team um, I think it's important to point out that as a program, long term, the outlook has not changed drastically. This is, as of right now, this year is an outlier, right? So this we, is a team loaded with talent. They have yes. two five stars and I think 40 or 44 four stars on yeah. this team. On paper, they're talented. Yeah. No, on still, paper, they're there. It's just yeah. the getting you, you the players gotta, there. Yep, you still got to put it together on the field. Which is why it's so frustrating to watch this this year. Because it's like, in theory, the pieces are there. Why isn't it working? But all these guys are going to get older. They're going to get more experienced. And and hopefully, going through this rough patch, they, you know, as Coach Harbaugh would say, they get some steel infused into their spines. Mm -hmm. You know, you get your back broken. You know, you go through all these dings, all these ugly losses, and you learn. This is the 2018... uh... What was it? Uh, Revenge tour. Revenge tour yeah. from the twenty seventeen beatdown. Right. So next year could be that. Right. 
But because um, these are the young players getting their experience, getting their feet under yeah. them for the first time, and just being held in the fire and seeing what's going to happen. Yeah, and so you hope that these guys really take that away. But the point is, you know, what there's been a lot of talk about. We've talked about the head coach, um, you know, position for this team, whether or not we think what something's going to happen with it. That aside, the the team, the cupboards are not bare. The lots of weapons and mm-hmm. talent in the cupboards to use. Um, and outside of the Brandon Peters year, where we had three different starting quarterbacks throughout the year, this is really the only season where we have really underachieved consistently, right? Now, when I say that, you know, I'm going to hear people go, but we haven't beaten the top 10 teams since yada yada. Okay, I'm talking about week to week. That's semantics. Yeah. And so um, we haven't come out looking this bad in back-to-back-to-back games, I think, since Harbaugh's been here. Um, coming off definitely lo- since Har- not since Harbaugh's been yeah, coming off losses, this team generally rebounds really mm-hmm. well, and I think attribute that that can be attributed to Harbaugh's professional, you know, sort of approach mm-hmm. where it's like, guys, we lost, we put it behind us. Next game is on, like we're on the clock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, w- my first takeaway: this program, I'm not jumping ship, right? A lot of people are really quick to do that. This team, I'm frustrated with. I'm very close to, if not already there, with jumping ship on this coaching staff, as is, you know what I mean? Or this this iteration of it, um, based on what I've seen. But for all of you who are like, oh, we're going back into the dark days, I don't think we're there yet. Um, I there's a When we were tanking for the better part of a decade with Rich Rod and Brady Hoke, um, well, even, even with Brady Hoke, there was the bright spot of the 11-1 season, but... There were signs that you could have pointed to that said, this is coming. You know what I mean? There were things sort of shifting um, in the athletic department uh, with the recruiting classes coming in. Um, with with Harbaugh in the last couple of years, recruiting has taken some hits from some of these, you know. But seasons. it's still top 15 every yeah, year. consistently. And we still got, we're loaded with talent. You know, we're not maybe on the Ohio State, Bama, Clemson level. Of the no, world, but we're east, we're still a top 10, top 15. Yeah, three deep of four stars in your t- on your roster. You should be yeah. a top 15 in the country. So, I don't know. I don't think the outlook is as grim as maybe some people say. My second big takeaway is um, we are we are at a very sensitive spot in this in this campaign, though, for the season. Mm-hmm. Because... You you not you didn't just go into this game and not answer any of the questions that you had going in. There are more questions coming out. There now. are far more questions, Be- and the biggest one being quarterback. So let's talk about that for a second, because and then we'll segue into hail yes, hail no, because I want to kind of re- reel mm-hmm. us in, because it'd be really easy just to continue to spiral oh, down this pit of. It is easy to spiral down. Yes, the pit. we call it the what is it the the B pone or yeah. B P O N E the black pit of negativity. What was the E? I don't know. It's it's easy to go kind of go go down that black hole of fandom where it's like our team sucks, we're losing, everything sucks, but we're not going to do that. But anyways, regarding the quarterbacks, um, for those of you who maybe missed it, um, was it midway through the third quarter? Maybe late in the third quarter. Black pit of negative expectations. There you go. The B pone. Black pit of negative negative expectations. Um, so. Midway to, you know, late in the third quarter, Joe Milton gets benched. I think it was long overdue. Because um, here's the thing. Sometimes you have a you have a starting quarterback go out, 
Joe, Joe threw a pick in the first the first mm-hmm. play of the game, and then came out and threw another pick. Um, not immediately after, is, but no, it was immediately. It was a second pass. So he threw um, back to back picks. So immediately rattled. Right. No, I don't care if you're Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. You come out and throw your first two passes are picks, and Wisconsin. You are going to be in your head. Yeah, you're in your head. So it's easy to say this afterwards, but midway through the second quarter, Joe looked. His, he was jumpy. His his feet. He wasn't setting he, his feet, and he wasn't making he, reads. Yeah, he's he's a first year quarterback. He was in over his head. He was right. overthinking everything. Right. And it doesn't help when. Everyone around you is also first-year starters. Yeah. So there's no experienced senior leader like, hey, let's reel this back in. We have Ronnie Bell, but... Again, Ronnie... Like, Ronnie's a junior receiver, so, like, he's been done some, but he's not that, like, rock-solid Nico Collins or whoever to anchor this, like, hey, guys, we got this. We're fine. Let's get over this. So, anyways, it seems like it was long overdue because you would think, okay, we need to bench Milton for at least a series. Let him gather his thoughts, have him talk with the QB coach, the, the even Harbaugh, settle down, and come back in fresh, right? Recalibrate. Well, they didn't do that. Um, it kind of just kept spiraling and spiraling, and on top of the poor play calling, it was like, well, there's no signs that this could get any better. It's going to get worse. But So midway through the third quarter, they bench Milton, and in comes Cade McNamara. Everybody's favorite player is the backup quarterback. So immediately the, the announcers are going, oh, this team looks energized. Cade's coming in. We'll see what the change does. He completes a pass, and all of a sudden everybody's going nuts. Cade's the man, right? Watch all these social media accounts light up. Twitter's lighting up. Cade's there going to be our savior. And listen, we've been through it before. Second string quarterback comes in. They've not been scouted. Every team hasn't played They have them. no expectations behind what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, and... They're truly able, because Devin Gardner has said this best when he was a backup quarterback. When you go in, you can do whatever you want, because either you are such a big lead, it doesn't matter, or you are so far in the hole, again, it doesn't matter. (laughs) So you are just free to just let it loose, which is why when Joe Milton came in last year and the year before in those short spurts of times, everyone's like, oh, Joe's amazing, right? because he doesn't have to overthink things. He's just doing it. So Cade comes in. He's not overthinking things. He's just doing it. Yeah, he's like, like, "This is my opportunity. Let's just ball." The next guy up is always the most anticipated guy. It's just how it goes. Um, but yeah, so they bring Cade in, and he looks surprisingly good. Throws three completions. The third one being for a touchdown, and it was a dime. Like mm-hmm. we're all... it was textbook coverage by the DB. Yeah, in a spot only Sanderson could catch it. And Sanderson's not tall, so no. to, to put it in that spot. So basically, it was a fade route to. Kind of the back corner of the end zone-ish. Uh, Cade put some touch on it. Arch it right over the defender. Sanderson made an insane catch. Um, you know, went way up for it. So, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we got something. You know, they kept Cade in the rest of the game. And for if you turned it off, you didn't miss much. Cade really didn't do anything Cade, else the rest of the game. After went going three for three, Cade went one for four. So, yep. pump the brakes, people. Right. And so, I don't... Me and Chance were talking about this beforehand... We don't really expect Cade to be the go-to guy going forward because, and this is this is the issue, what, what I'm talking about here, coming out with more questions. Now, you, you have announced, if you missed this, Jim Harbaugh announced in a press conference, the quarterback position or competition is open. Both of the guys are practicing with the ones, which at first, at, at face value, you're kind of like, oh, good, They're, it's a competition. But here's the thing, we're midway through the season, and now neither of these guys know Am I the guy? And especially for Joe, 
And if you ask me who do we go with, I would say Joe because he's got the higher end as of right now, the more experience as of right now, and he's ran the offense. Mm-hmm. So now, but now, but now he's got that question mark on his shoulder, right? He, he has. He, I think this is a light the fire under Joe's butt moment. I hope. I hope because so. obviously there's a reason he was the starting quarterback and Cade was not. Right. And there's a reason they took so long to put Cade in. It's not because Cade's right on the doorstep, ready to go. This is not a Tom Brady, Drew Hansen kind of moment. Right. This is a, I'm going to say it like a Chad Henney, yeah, um, what's his name? Oh, my gosh. I'm completely blank on it. He transferred away to Arkansas. Ryan Mallett. Yeah. This is, this is like, a, so this is not like, hey, like this is the hot shot freshman and the touted senior. Like, right. this is, Milton is the starter. There's no question he has more talent. And, like, Cade is talented, but he does, he's a, he's a sophomore. He's a redshirt freshman quarterback. He's doesn't have the experience or anything like that. So, Cade is, Cade maybe in the future will be the quarterback, who knows. But Joe is definitely more talented, and I fully expect him to be, come out and be the starter. Right. Maybe they split some time against Rutgers, but... They I better fully be, expect. They better be cautious though. Joe's, they do. Yeah, because here's the thing: if you bench Joe this next game and he's Cade done. starts, he's done. You lose him for the year. There's no like he's gonna have no confidence. There's no recovering from that either. At least not in one season. Not not like he he could be back next season. Maybe you can try to pull him back in later. But you are losing him mentally. Yeah, and that would be absolutely horrible for this for Joe's future. Well, because imagine this: you are what probably 19 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah, he's probably 20. Okay, so 19, 20 years old, you are the starting quarterback at a prestigious university. You are given and trusted with the offense. You get benched on the, what, the fourth game in mm-hmm. because you're playing poorly. The backup plays well for the first drive, but then kind of you know sp- you know fizzles out. And then the next game, he gets more reps or is used or use you get the inkling that he's being trusted more than you. What does it do to your confidence? You're gone. You're gone. Either you check, either you check out. Yeah. Either you are, this is my offense, I'm going to come right back in, right. which may happen, but honestly, the more likely scenario is he's going to just start overthinking he everything folds in and fold, folds yeah. in. Yeah, and so the, this is the opportunity to not be the professional coach and be the yes. college coach and be the yes. supporting, up, uplifting guy. Because Joe is so close to being there. As I said before, Joe is a young Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. He's the gunslinger that trusts his arm too much and doesn't have the touch yet. Because the why was the first pass picked off? Literally the first pass. Mm-hmm. He's throwing a ten yard pass and he throws an absolute rocket. Bounces off Eubanks' hands. Bounces off Eubanks' hands, and Eubanks even said, "I wasn't expecting the pass." Right. Because all of a sudden the ball is there in like a tenth of a second. Right. It should be an so easy completion. It should be a very easy. Like he was open. Like right. it was a tight pass, but if you just pass it normally. Mm-hmm. Easy completion. But the thing is, and the reason I'm so worried about Joe, if that happens, is because he doesn't come across right now as being mature enough in himself and confident enough in himself to be the self-starter where he goes, I'm going to take this back because Mm -hmm. he came back on the next drive. And he threw the worst pick I have ever seen in my life. And it's literally just because he he wasn't even looking at anybody but his receiver. Didn't see the linebacker there at all. Because, I mean, I don't care what you say. There's no way that if he sees the linebacker, he's going to throw. So... The passes to whatever receiver doesn't matter. If even if the linebacker's not there, the ball do, is not getting the receiver. Right, it would have been well behind. It's him. at least five to six yards short. Right. So this was a absolutely horrible pass. Other problem: 
Joe, why don't you throw the ball away? Have oh, you yeah. thrown the ball away more than once this entire season? That's what's frustrating. Just throw it away. Like it's the you think you can do everything with your arm, which is the young gun, not young Brett Favre thing that we've already talked about. He's the gunslinger that just thinks he's so confident in his arm he can do everything, which right. is a good trait to have mm-hmm. to a point. You have to be willing to accept they beat us this play. Let's restart. Right. Because there is the like. There is the problem when you just throw in these windows, sometimes the ball gets picked. Mm-hmm. Which does, as we've seen, in the, he's had four interceptions in the past two games. And at least two of them are completely on him. Yeah. We'll th- we'll, we will let the Eubanks one slide as a could be either. Because Eubanks should have caught it, but... Combined effort, yeah. It was also way too hard of a pass. Because the pass needed to have some touch on it, but Eubanks, if it hits you in the that, hands... Yeah, that's the other it. thing. So when McNamara went in... This is something Herb, or Kirk Herbstreet said after McNamara's touchdown pass was, McNamara throws the catchable ball. Mm-hmm. And it's a very notable arc pattern between the two of them because uh, McNamara throws these lob passes, allowing his receivers to make moves and get under the ball. Milton's is on a line. Milton is the Dan Marino rocket yeah. that is just very flat, very low. Right. This is going to get in the window, and it's, there's no opportunity for you to make an adjustment. Yeah. He just needs to get a little touch, and he's going to be there. Which is why you see him overthrow the open receiver. Yes. So when they had Corum or whoever it was wide open. Oh, thank you, Josh Gaddis. You ran one halfback wheel around all year. And <laughs> guess know. who was wide open for a touchdown? Right, run it more. <laughs> Blake Corum. We'll you run there. it once, he's wide open. We'll get there. It yeah. is not Corum's fault that Milton grossly overthrew him. No, not at all. Well, let's But do, it was there. Let's do this. Um, so... That that is the whole reason I brought up the quarterback position is because I feel like we're at a pivotal moment where you either break Joe Milton for the year because I don't want to talk about Joe like he's some sort of fragile ego, yeah. you know. Obviously, he's he's a, he's he, a college football. He's a football player. He's a tough kid, right? He'll he, survive. He will survive. But what the coaches do for him and how they use him going forward, I think, will play a role in whether or not he has to fight through himself, or if he if he gets kind of held up by his team by his coaching staff, because right now, mm-hmm. if I was him, I'd be down on myself big time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like... Get, Give him some team support, yeah. please. So anyways, um, I just to kind of move on here, the we're midway through the season. Um, this isn't in our script, but this is something that I feel like is important to kind of... Like we talked about, you recalibrate as you go throughout the season, right? So we're midway through the season. Um, we're one and three, right? Season's probably a lost cause as far as any sort of meaningful accomplishments as far as like you're out of the picture for big 10 you know title you're out of the picture for probably both rivalries you lost to michigan state already i mean there's not a snowball chance in hell we're beating ohio state as of right now as i brought up earlier this season covid blankets (laughs) if we can just take out their entire starting 22 we well, have a snowball shot. Well, now. The, the unfortunate thing is behind that starting twenty-two is another twenty-two of five. Stars. I know that, but they have less experience. Sure, let's just be. But honest. even then, they probably still are favorite. If we are, if we can just kneecap. Oh my gosh! Justin go. Fields. We have a. We are midway through the season. We're one in three, and I think it's important to recalibrate as fans, because if you're listening, um, it does us no good to. A, tweet at players, DM players. If you do it, you're disgusting. Don't do it. Uh, B, you're going to drive yourself insane if you go into every game 
looking for the the turn it around on a dime or Michigan football, we're going to be back. I think we are what we are so far this season. Um, and what that is is lack of a rushing attack, um, lack of defensive pressure on the quarterback, which those two things alone, that is a concoction for failure in every game. If you don't have any push on the offensive line, which is uh, part of the reason with part of the issue with the running game, the other part of it is why in the world is Hassan Haskins not getting the lion's share of carries right now? He's averaging like 4.7 yards per carry or something like that, something close to that, even higher probably. But he's he's the highest average YPC yards per carrier on the team. And he, how many touches did he get? One. One touch. And I don't, I don't get it. Blake Horn got a lot of touches, and dude has some potential. But it's like, why is it so obvious to a fan and not as obvious to a coach? Haskins and Charbonnet should be your go-to guys between the tackles. Blake Corum should be thrown screens, tosses to the outside on, on, on sweeps, and then Chris Evans should be a gadget guy. But mm-hmm. the percentages should be like 40% Haskins, 20% Charbonnet, or somewhere in between there, you know, maybe a 30, 30. I'd do like a 40, 20, 20 between Charbonnet and Quorum. Yeah, and then a 10% Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. Use him as an H-back. Because we saw it uh, on that one play where, because Chris Evans scored, by the way, which yeah. that, I'm probably going to change my hill yes to that because I love Chris Evans. Um, but use him in that way. Like, we saw glimpses of it. Why don't we use them like yeah. that? But anyways. So, go Hassan ahead. Haskins is averaging 7.8 yards a carry. Oh, my gosh. That is that is third in the Big Ten. And you gave why him one he carry. Had one carry? What the heck? Jo- this is why I said earlier, Josh Gaddis, you deserve to have your play calling revoked. Because yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't, man. 7.8 yards a carry. Like, play, he, play to your strengths. I'm sick of seeing all the cutesy... Let's get cute with this kind of play and try No, we know what we do well. We run the ball well with Haskins. We know that Corum can get open, get him out in the flats. We know that Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, and Ronnie Bell, and Giles Jackson can all get open, use them in the short to intermediate game to get open, play action, then hit the deep shot at some point in the game. I don't get all these cutesy little plays where we're running sweeps. and like How many reverses did we run? I think the only the only running plays that we ran that were outside of like a run up the middle, like like he's talked about the inside mm-hmm. zone, was a reverse. And it's pretty easy to call out. But anyways, we I say all that because the running game has sort of vanished and regressed throughout the course of the year. That's already bad. Um, defensive line, you obviously lost Hutchinson for the year. Not good. You lost Pay for last week. Maybe this week. We don't know. He's day to day. But so you already lost your two best players. But we have no push. On the defensive defensive line, uh, did we have a sack last game? Probably not. Um, I think we are a big old o zero sacks for the year. If I'm not, or at least in the last three games, um, I think I thought I saw that we had one sack. One sack. Okay. Well, there you go. We got one sack, and it was from Carlo, Carlo Kemp. Kemp. But you can't go a whole game with one sack or no sacks and very few QB pressures and expect the defense to hold up. So. Those, to me, are the two glaring issues for this team throughout the year. So what I'm looking for in the remaining four games is an improved running game and an improved defensive line performance. Because I don't know what to think of our secondary. They're not great, but...
But then they made some plays. There mm-hmm. were some times where they, they were in position. We've talked about it before. Jermon Green and Vincent Gray are they're smart enough to be in position. They just got to play the ball. It's it's the inexperience, which goes into yeah. my hail yes is yeah. Well, hang on. Let's let so let's transition. We're gonna go into our hail yes, hail no. For those of you who don't listen normally, hail yes, hail no is where we take the best of what we've seen and the worst of what we've seen, and we basically highlight it. So we will try to highlight some positives right. right now. So we basically just cover your hail no with Haskins not getting the ball. Yes. So let's go into my hail yes. So my hail yes is getting youth experience because as I mentioned earlier, we're starting uh, nineteen. Um, set or seventeen, um, underclassmen. Non or I should just say non seniors. We're starting twelve underclassmen. <clears throat> so that is seventeen players coming back. Twelve of them being in their first two years of football eligibility, which is phenomenal. To be honest, that like it is a great sign for the future, if nothing yeah. else. Because as we just mentioned, Jamon Green, Vincent Gray. Both sophomores, eligibility-wise. Are they redshirt sophomores? They're redshirt sophomores. Okay. So these are guys that they're getting the on-field. So it's when we went back. So if you go back to the 2014 Brady Hoke. Mm. Or no, it was 2013 Brady Hoke. Um, when Michigan is playing at Penn State, Christian Hackenberg throws oh, yeah. this bomb down the sideline. Do you, know, you remember who those two defensive backs there were? I want to say one was Jordan Lewis. Jordan Lewis and Channing Streetling. Mm-hmm. Guess who were both NFL draft picks Jordan Lewis, when they Shibble. left? Jordan Lewis, Channing Streetling. Um, and these were as freshmen or sophomore. I believe freshmen, honestly. They were young. Yeah. They were very early on. Maybe redshirt freshmen. But these were... So, and obviously getting the experience young mm-hmm. at the time is a huge negative. And we have seen but, that. Lever Hill... Yeah. Um, Lever Hill... Um, David Long. Yeah, they, they, these are guys that when they came in, they're making the young, youthful, inexperienced mistakes. But when they yeah. leave, they are locked down yeah, guys. They are. You're right. So it's a great, great sign for the future with getting all this inexperience in right now. It sucks for the current time, obviously. <laughs> it really but sucks. but it, at least it's, it's a bright future. My hail no. I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm just gonna go, with Josh Gaddis. What are you doing, man? Yeah. You are. I, I don't know what to t- say because your play calling is baffling. It just it'd be it'd be one thing if he had. Okay, I see what he's trying to do. It's not working. I don't get what the he's philosophy not, is. He he's not capitalizing on things they're good at. There are a lot of things they suck at. Let's focus on the things you're good at. Right. And Go off those. Like, the Haskins only getting one carry. That makes literally no sense whatsoever. Your best running back had one carry for six yards. So, obviously, the one carry he got, he did something good with it. Your second best running back got three carries, Zach Charbonnet. Averaging seven yards. Which, I do love me some Blake Corum. I won't lie. But the guy had seven carries for five yards. And he averaged .7 on each carry. So, like, come on. So maybe we need to use him, but differently. Yeah, Blake. Corum, we are using him in ways he's not good yet. He's a true. He's a true freshman, right? Blake Corum's a true freshman, so he's getting the experience in now. But he is not being used in ways to succeed, and that also yeah. goes off with Joe Milton, especially going in this next game, presuming he starts, because as we already talked about, he should. We expect him to start. Yes. Um, give him some confidence building throws. Get, this, like, this, because yeah. he had 
what one completion going into the second quarter. It was rough. And it's, you can't. You, are, build, you have to do something to help build, build his confidence. That. You have no so rhythm. Give him some slants, some crossing routes, something to just help build some confidence. Yeah, here's a. I just thought about this. Did we run a single RPO? No, against Wisconsin. I don't think so. Maybe one or two. But Isn't not that many. supposed to be like the premise of Josh Gaddis's offense? It's a. That's or what one they of, did. One of them. That was something they used heavily at both Penn State when he was there and at Alabama when he was there. Because I've heard and heavily used last year too, yeah. and heavily used against Minnesota this year. What I've heard in the past is you want to put the linebackers in in the secondary in contention to either have to play the run or the pass, mm-hmm. and that opens up the slants, the little post routes. Why are we? Why why are we so, running that? It appears so far that one of Joe Milton's favorite passes is the deep post, because he's hit that a few times, or the or the mid out, so like probably a, a fifteen yard out route or a corner route, and they've done that not that much lately. I don't like this is a pass he clearly seems to like and do well that you're not running at all. Instead, you're giving him long throws across the field yeah. or all these deep shots where it's like. If he's having a hard time with touch, yeah. why are we still throwing those consistently? I mean, we like to hit those at some yeah. point, but you got to get him in rhythm first. We So, in the Big Ten, Michigan is number one in passes downfield, attempted. And we're obviously not completing them. No. Because if we were, we wouldn't be talking at one and three. Yeah, and like we've all talked about, we want the deep pass game to be there, right? But you have to start. You can't have a quarterback go... Like you said, one for seven going into the second quarter, and then expect him to throw a forty-yard bomb mm-hmm. down the sideline. It's like give him some sort of confidence-building throws, please. because yeah. he, he clearly was lost and it was getting ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. So let me start with my hail no first. If I if you, I know we are we already of, did your hail. We no. already, talk, already talked about, it, but like I would almost like to double down on that because. You know, it's I can't run away from it. Last or two podcasts ago, episode three, I think, where we had Josh Rixie on, or was that four? I don't know. It was three. But in episode three, I talked about I actually think Josh Gaddis at the at that time would be an ideal candidate for the head coach position if Harbaugh mm-hmm. moves on. But mm-hmm. not like this. <laughs> like no, nope. it's a hard. I'm gonna take a hard 180 degree turn on that because until I can see him. Pl- call a game that makes sense I don't get it like my my official hill no is why the heck is Haskins not getting more carries but like that ties into Gaddis's play calling yeah which at least we, I think it does yeah when we go back to the Harbaugh Pep Hamilton Tim Drevno days you at least understood what they were doing you it may not have worked it, you yeah. understood why they're doing what they were doing Gaddis is literally all over the board it feels like he goes in with like guns blazing I got this plan, and then as soon as it doesn't work, mm-hmm. scrap it. We're, here's the new plan. Make game. And it's like, at least that's what it seems like from the outside. We're not in We're not in the huddles. We're not in the, the film room, so I don't know that for sure. But it feels... They seem to do a poor job self-scouting, and other teams yeah. know exactly what they're doing. And it feels scatterbrained. It's like, first quarter, we're going to try to run the ball. Second quarter, we abandon the run game completely. But then later in the game, we'll try to bring back the run game. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No, it's, football is a game of momentum shifts, and you have to build your offense, right? You have to build a running game, 
make the defenses, load the box, and then you opens up the pass, and vice versa. But anyways, my hill, yes, we'll move on to, because there there is a positive I'd like to point out, is, um, well, actually, my positive is sort of a false negative. Um, we're not right, well, over- your positive, you changed it to Chris Evans getting a touchdown. I did. But we'll cover your other <laughs> hill yes my, as well. My hill yes before that is sort of actually more depressing. We're not 0-4. It could be worse. Penn State's 0-4. <laughs> Screw you, James Franklin. <laughs> the GOAT, big game James, uh, has not won a game yet this year. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's the GOAT. People call him the GOAT. Um, James yeah. Franklin, if you never had Saquon Barley, Barkley, you would be fired. <laughs> yes. Well, I, even with Saquon Barkley, debatable if he should be fired or not. But anyways, my that was my old hill, yes, which is kind of... Depressing because it's not actually about us, it's about another team. But hey, but, we will find any positives we can from this right. season. And Screw the, you, Penn State. And Can't big, wait to see you in two weeks. Yeah, and a big one, I know that's going to be just a crap The toilet test. bowl. Jeez. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to highlight, man, Chris Evans, if you ever happen to come across this podcast, doubt you ever will. But man, I'm a huge fan. Um, just... I could do a whole episode on it, but his Chris story... Chris Evans, when you graduate, I would like to get you a beer. Yeah, Because I can't give you one now because of NCAA rules <laughs> violations. But when you graduate and you're gone, I will gladly buy you a beer. Because the, the dude is just... You hear so many stories about college football players making a mistake, either academically, they violate team rules or something, and they get you know, suspended from, or kicked off the team, he wasn't just suspended, he was removed from the football team. Mm-hmm. Was, like, Jim Harbaugh said he's he no was, longer with yeah, the football team. He was acad- or academically removed from the team. Right. You would expect... He had to work his way back in. Right. You would expect most college athletes to just disappear. You know, they, tr- they either A, transfer to somewhere that will take them in and try to get playing mm-hmm. time, or B, you never hear from them again, or they go to a JUCO and, you know, whatever route they take... Chris Evans spent an entire year and a half, roughly. He he focused on getting himself right. He focused on because I, I follow him on Instagram. I have for a while. He he's running all these youth camps, charity events, coaching at a local high school. Yeah, like set, he was on the grind. It wasn't like he's at, sitting at home. Woe is me. I worked I his way to, back in act. Or yeah. into the school, because he was, I believe he was actually removed from the school. He was no longer enrolled at the school. Um, so he had to work his way back into the University of Michigan. Yeah. Obviously, he had some little help as being a sure. star athlete, but still, the fact that he came back when everyone in the world would have left is astounding. Yeah. He got back into the school, to you, man. got back into the, the football program, and got back into the rotation, and he scored. And so my, it, it sounds really silly amidst, amidst all the bigger things going on with the program, but I, I got a shout out Chris Evans and, you know, the, uh, Herb Street kind of mentioned it very briefly in, in the game broadcast, but the dude has been through hell and he, he, he fought and clawed and you love to see guys who work for it. Mm-hmm. Similar to Alex Smith in the NFL with, with, uh, the Redskins after his like yeah. nightmarish leg break, yeah. but he's starting now and it's like. If you hate the team, you love the team, you got to root for those guys. And so, also, it's the Washington football team, Matt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you oh, man. Dang it. That is staying me. in. <laughs> the so, Washington football team, yes. My apologies to anybody on this podcast who I've offended. Um, <laughs> but, yes, my my hell yes, I switched it here mid-episode. 
Chris Evans, you're the man. So we love you, dude. Um, so that I believe that's going to take us into let's do our injury updates. So yeah, in real Hutch- quick, and we'll have a yeah. break. So we got in Hutchinson, defensive lineman. We expected a ton from. We had really high expectations. And he looked like he may be achieved. He started out really well, and these last couple games are eh. Well, unfortunately, he fractured his leg against um, Indiana, and he is going to be done for the season. So, fingers, I believe he's technically eligible for the draft, but I fully expect him to be coming back next year and building off his. Resume because he is he's on the doorstep of being. In he all, has the potential for like first yeah. second round. He he has serious potential, and especially with his dad Steve Hutchinson being a formal All Pro in the NFL as an offensive lineman, like yeah. the the caliber of athletes there, and he has the potential to do it. So let's take that into um, let's do the other defensive end. Quiddy uh, Pay. He has a groin injury. He obviously missed last week against. Um, uh, oh my gosh, he's Wisconsin. missed last week against Wisconsin. Um, then, so he's grown injury. He's day to day. Maybe this week, maybe not this week. We don't really know. Michigan. Har- yeah, Harbaugh said he Harbaugh is notable for playing injuries like this yes. close to the vest. Yes, his answer will basically be, yeah, he's day to day. We think he might be back this week. Is basically every answer. So that leads us into Ryan Hayes, starting left tackle. He has a foot injury that is not being discussed. What it is because again. Close to the vest, and that he is also day to day. Yeah, we think he may be back this week. It would be great if he was, but well, we again, day to day. We probably won't know until the game, honestly. So that takes us into our final big notable injury is Jalen Mayfield, um, starting right tackle. He's high NFL draft expectations. Um, he has a high ankle sprain, and he is. His return date is unknown. It and is questionable. He potentially could be back this week. He could be back for Penn State. And if honestly, if it's after Penn State, and only with only two games after that, I would go as far. I don't think he would. Yeah. If he's not back for Penn State, I'm not holding high hopes he returns mm-hmm. this season. If he doesn't return this game against Rutgers or the following game, I think he closes shop for the season because... He was already projected to the fir- potential low first mm-hmm. round, high second round. Um, if I'm him, I love my team, but I came back despite declaring for the draft. Yes. I can't after, especially after a you know a considerable injury. You know, high ankle sprains can be real ugly, almost worse than breaks. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, who missed eight almost weeks the whole season or nine season yeah, yeah eight eight or nine weeks with a high ankle sprain and then got injured again when he came back yep and so you're always susceptible to re-injure those so if i were him i love my guys but i gotta consider my future and so i i'm, I'm with you if he's i can not see back, him come then, back but i can also easily see him leave right yeah so i think it's all the notable injuries right because i would say that's all the notable McGrone injuries. was back Britt barrett was back um we really, really haven't had any on offense, thank God. Um, well, yeah, so that's that's our injury updates. Like we thought, I mean, we'll try to hit those every now and then when we can, but Michigan is very limited with what they give out. I was surprised they came out so quickly with Aiden Hutchinson's. It's probably only because it's season-ending that they did, just to kind of protect his, you know, career. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, yeah. Um, well, let's go ahead and hit a break. We went a little bit long, 
But uh, we will give you guys a quick break. We'll come back. We'll give some updates around the conference. And we'll do a quick preview of the Rutgers game because we do indeed play a game this Saturday. And uh, <laughs> normally it'd be an automatic W on the schedule. Maybe a little bit more of a hard-fought victory. Rutgers is 1-3. They don't look... I mean, they came out looking decent week one, but it turns out Sparty just sucks um, along with us. But we'll see. Um, we'll kind of break down some, some key matchups, key players, breakout players, and, and some predictions. So we're going to hit a break. We'll be right back. We are back, and we are real quick going to jump through the Big Ten here. Uh, Chance is going to give us his weekly recap of scores around the conference and uh, what the lay of the land kind of looks like for the rest of the Big Ten, which, by the way, preface, it's a weird year, folks. Uh, Northwestern is atop the Western... Whoa, con- whoa, whoa. You're cutting in my stuff, man. All right. Ignore Matt. We're going to start with our recovery because I, f- I will talk about <laughs> Northwestern, Okay. So let's start off the top. What the heck is going on? Let's start off the top. Iowa, Minnesota. Iowa (sighs) blows out the Golden Gophers. Halftime, it's 14 nothing. Game finishes 35 7. Suck it, PJ Fleck. Your boat is not rowing. Boat's sinking. So let's go to our in state rivals who we obviously adore, Michigan State. They get shut out versus Indiana, 24-0, making that loss to Michigan State just look fantastic. Then let's go to our favorite team in the conference. That's not us. Northwestern continuing. Your, fa- your favorite team in the conference. Continuing their national championship hype. They are undefeated at 4-0 with a win over Purdue. I fully expect Northwestern to keep this train going. And that brings us into our least favorite team behind the Buckeyes, uh, Penn State, Nebraska. Scott Frost at Nebraska, head coach, having an awful time so far as the prodigal son come home. Gets the dub over big game, James. Suck it. Nebraska wins 30-23 in Nebraska. This game, oh my gosh. James Franklin, you suck. You had to bench Clifford, your starting quarterback, you mean to for tell me Will that, Levis. You mean to tell me that James Franklin can't win a game without a generational player like Trace McSorley or Saquon Barkley? I mean to say, James Franklin, every year, in almost every big game situation, makes the wrong decision. <laughs> which is why he has the nickname Big Game James, but yes. we will get to that next week when we play Penn State. Hopefully win. So that will bring us into, let, let's do Ohio State and Maryland. Unfortunately, Maryland had COVID problems, and this game had to be canceled. And this game actually looked like it had potential to be not an upset, but at least exciting, because Maryland's offense was clicking to his baby brother, Talia Tugavailoa. I will get this name right one of these days. Tugavailoa. Tugavailoa. Talia was looking really good. I was excited to see how he would do against such a great Ohio State defense, and this game was robbed from us. So must have sent Ohio like State blankets. Yes, Ohio State sent them COVID blankets to avoid any sort of upset. <laughs> you heard it here first. So that takes us to this week's opponent. Rutgers loses a tight one to Illinois, twenty-three to twenty. 
I don't believe our beloved son, Brandon Peters, played in this game mm-hmm. to get the dub for Illinois. But thank God. Is he benched or was he out? For he, COVID. Reasons? Oh, COVID. Yeah, Brandon Peters did not play this week, unfortunately. Still out with the COVID, duh, because he played week one. He'd have to sit three weeks. So that makes sense. Yeah. So hopefully, Peters, we expect he'd be back next week, lighting it up for the fight in the Illini. So that takes us into this week's opponent, Rutgers. Oh, Rutgers. Actually, sorry. Rutgers, you are still Buckers. Uh, you have. Say, Chance almost gave him the You back. have done better than expected this year, sitting at one and three. They're playing. Which, honestly, that's not a huge upgrade, but it is an upgrade over what you had been. And I will say, if you do beat us this week, I will give you your R back. But as of now, you are sitting at 1-3, and three, and the only reason you beat Michigan State is because they turned the ball over seven times. If Michigan State doesn't turn the ball over seven times, I don't see you getting a win. And, and here's the thing. We live in a, in a year where Rutgers is able to say, our only win is against the team that you didn't beat. And so technically, if if we're tied with them at one and three, but they have the tiebreaker over us as of now, unless we beat them, obviously. That's not how the tiebreaker works, man. I know, but it's a. I'm talking about like semantics. They beat the team. Rutgers, obviously, the Rutgers, tra- you guys still suck. The transitive property doesn't work in football, but they beat the team that we lost to. So, so going in, Rutgers, Greg Schiano, first year back as the head coach, the hype is there. Rutgers offense looks. Like, they have a pulse. Capable, yeah. They look capable. Are they, they world breakers? No. Outside of Pacheco, no. Pacheco's no. got something, though. He's pretty talented. Yeah, so are they world breakers? No. But as they showed against Ohio State, they have a pulse. Then I could easily see them giving our defense some fits. So let's start in with our game preview for Rutgers this week. Oh, oh, sorry. Is it my turn to talk now? You can talk. Okay. Sorry. Since we're not talking about Northwestern. Oh, you gotcha, gotcha. I forgot who the host of this podcast was for a hot hey, minute. I'm sorry. Pat Fitzgerald is amazing. If he was an offensive coach, <laughs> I, I would love to him. hire him. I know he's amazing. If he was an offensive coach, I would love to hire him at Michigan. But unfortunately, he's not. He's a defensive guy, and we will never get him away from Northwestern. So, Rutgers. Chancellor alluded to it. Greg Schiano has Rutgers playing... Respectable football, and I will give them. That's that's about where I'd put them right now. They are one in three. Normally, this would be a game where it's like, oh, one in three Rutgers, no worries. But different world we live in right now. Michigan football is also one in three, and seemingly searching for answers at every point in the field outside of maybe linebacker. Um, so it is a it's an interesting matchup because Greg Schiano has Rutgers playing. Respectable offense. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, their starting running back, he's probably their most talented player. Um, normally you think he's the quarterback, but they use him in the receiving game. They use him in the return game. They use him as the starting. I mean, I've watched a bit of their play. I watched, obviously, when they were beating Michigan State. I was like, I got to watch this. Um, but Pacheco, he, he gave, I remember he gave the defense a little bit of fits the last time we played Rutgers last year. So um, I would expect them to have a decent day on the ground. Wisconsin just ran for 300-some yards on us. So, I mean, we kind of gave other teams a blueprint. We run the ball on Michigan, and then once we load the box, our DBs can't hang. So we'll see what happens. Um, The defense, uh, as we've mentioned before, is still a hot mess. Um, (laughs) For perspective here, Rutgers-Lawson was a one-possession game 
No, they won in a one-possession game against Sparty. No, it was 11 points. Was it 11 points? Okay. So, still relatively close, right? Um, they, they won by 11 points, but they got seven turnovers off the Spartans. Yes. And so... Um, Their defense is still a complete hot mess, yeah, as Michigan State self-inflicted all of those turnovers. So, if there was a matchup where that was favorable for the Michigan offense to get some somewhat back on track, this is probably it. You would have thought that would have been the case with... Well, actually, no. You lose to Michigan State, then you play two ranked opponents. So, like, mm-hmm. this is sort of the breather that this Michigan football team maybe needs, or not even a breather, a break from a top-tier team, right? Get, yes. a, get a bounce back, at least improvement. Again, my expectation, as weird as it sounds, isn't even a win. I want improvement, and hopefully an improvement equals a yes. win against Rutgers. And but, going into this, Rutgers' defense is honestly... Almost as bad as ours from the statistical standpoint. They have played a few good teams, but honestly, they haven't played that much. That, like, So they played Michigan State, who did give them seven turnovers. But uh, that's, then Indiana was got it going, 37 points they put up. Then Ohio State really – Ohio State just threw it in neutral. They honestly didn't really care about the game once they got the they lead. They still won by double digits. And they still handily won by four or three touchdowns. Almost actually, they almost won by four touchdowns. So Ohio State just threw it in neutral, and then Illinois put up twenty three on them. And this is Illinois with their backup quarterback and mm-hmm. a Lovey Smith, who is a head coach who is on a, a hotter seat than Harbaugh. So this is Illinois, obviously not world beaters. It was their first win of the year. Would you say Lovey Smith's on the hot seat? He's got a couple of big marquee wins for them. He's sitting one and three, and he got blown up by Minnesota. Sure, I mean we're sitting one and three. I know. Harbaugh's on the hot seat too, buddy. If yeah, you hadn't gathered that yet. Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. If you hadn't gathered that yet. So, but yeah, you're right. Rutgers, their defense is almost as bad as ours. So this is an opportunity for Michigan to get their offense going. Particularly, I'm going to say they have, this is a great opportunity to get their offense going through the air. So this is a great yeah. game to get some confidence back in Joe Milton. So that I'm just going to jump from here and go right into my uh, breakout player. My breakout player is going to be Cornelius Johnson. I know we've done him a few times, and he, he has the potential to be there. He, I'd still defend he's probably the second-best option behind Ronnie Bell. I know Giles Jackson and Sanders got a ton of playing time this week, and Johnson did not get even remotely the same. But Johnson's still our only real like jump ball threat. Because yeah. Sanders and Jackson are very Jeremy, Jeremy Gallon-like, where they're short and fast. We, mm-hmm. Cornelius well, Johnson's our only – yeah, Ronnie Bell as well. So, Cornelius Johnson's our only, like, big guy. I and mean, even at that, he's not that big. Right. He's sitting, I think, 6'2". Yeah, the only other really big jump ball threat you have is Eric Hall. And he's Eric just, Hall he's not or Eubanks and their tight ends. And they yeah. our tight ends have been a complete and utter mess. So, this is a great opportunity for Michigan to just re-get this offense focused mm-hmm. and get it going. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and I hate to say it, but, you know, you, you sort of – you could say the same about other matchups because, you know, Indiana, they're playing good football, but their defense really – it's really their offense that carries them, right? Uh-huh. You know, you, you look at like Fry Fogel, Fillior, and Penix Jr. really carrying that team. Um, the def- You don't – Indiana this year, they're not winning because of their defense. So you would have liked to think, oh, yeah, the Michigan offense gets it going against Indiana. And they kind of did in the second half, but – I mean, it's like, if not now, when? You know what I mean? Because yeah. it doesn't get If any... you can't get it going here, 
you're not going to get it going anytime. Exactly. Um, so it'll be fifth game of the season. Clearly, we haven't found a rhythm with play calling, but you got to find some sort of rhythm with. Well, we already. And it's it's tough to say because like we already know what we do well. At least we think we know. So it's not even like you're trying to find what you do well. Just do what Just you do focus well. Focus on what you do well. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's what I hope to see. If if you ask me, what what would be a, a victory for this team? Obviously, a win is crucial. I think for this team's psyche. But like, as far as schematically. I'd like to see at least 100 yard, yards rushing in the day from the team as a whole um, to show some sort of semblance that, like, Michigan can at least try to run the ball. And I'd also like to see Joe Milton complete 65% of his passes. I think it's pretty pretty reasonable to ask. Um, but I, a lot of that depends on the play calling, too. It's like, hey, are we playing, are we calling a friendly game for Joe? Um, so, yeah. I think it's a favorable matchup on paper. Um, Rutgers typically is. It's a lot more even playing field this year than it maybe would be other years, but I still think we're a more talented team. We should win. Like, if if everything's on an even playing field, our talent should win out the day, you'd hope. Yeah. So, as long as we hold Pacheco, <laughs> Pacheco in check, but um, as long as we hold him, I say under 120 on the day, I think it's a win. I would agree going into our more predictions for the game. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. I didn't do breakout player. Um, uh, yeah, do your breakout player. Yeah, and then we'll go into predictions. Um, I had a hard time with breakout players um, because I know who I would like to break out or at least take the next step. Um, I've focused a lot on skill positions so far. I think I've done Blake Corum. I think I mentioned Chris Evans really early in the year. Uh, I mentioned Roman Wilson who I still think is going to continue to ascend. Um, but this week, I'm kind of going to call somebody out almost like in faith. Like, based on the current injuries on the defensive line with Hutch gone and with Quiddy Pay questionable, um, we started Carlo Kemp. He moved to the outside against Wisconsin. And Taylor Upshaw started opposite him on the defensive line. Um, Carlo Kemp, if Quiddy Pay is active, likely moves back inside because we need the help inside. And Taylor Upshaw likely starts on the other side of Quiddy. I would really like to see Taylor Upshaw just exert him, like insert himself into the game. Show be, his upperclassman yeah, ex- experience. Be a that. factor. Because he's one of those guys where we've heard about in past years where, like, you've sort of mentioned it before, there's State Street guys and Main Street guys, Right. Is that how it goes? Yes. Some guys, I mean, just because you're playing well on the practice field on State right. Street doesn't mean you're going to show up in the big house on Main Street. We've heard a lot about him in practice playing really well, and he's always one of those guys mentioned kind of in that backup group, like, mm-hmm. he's playing really well. But we haven't seen it. So I'd like to really see him take the next step and give us some sort of depth and push in the defensive line. Because I think if we can do that, if we can force Rutgers to be one-dimensional and run the ball or, like, you know, throw screens and, and stuff like that, our defense can get sideline to sideline. If not anything, our defense is athletic. You know what I mean? Cameron Grove, Michael Barrett, and um, Josh Ross at, 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 in the middle of the field at linebacker, they're all quick. And so if we can force them to be one-dimensional, I think it's a really good day for the Michigan defense, which they could probably use. Um, get a couple sacks in, pressure the quarterback, and get some confidence. So I want to say Taylor Upshaw as like a, trying to speak it forward because <laughs> we really need it. Um, but yeah, let's go into predictions. What is your, um, let's do bold predictions first, mm-hmm. then we'll do scores. What is your bold prediction for this game? So my bold take 
is I'm banking on the fact that Josh Gaddis pulls his head out of his butt and starts calling this game, calling the game like he did last year in the second half of the season when they just started doing the speed and space that he talked about so much. And I'm going to go out on a limb that shouldn't even be a limb because this is one, this is below what Rutgers averages for yards per game allowed. So I'm going to say Michigan puts up 400 yards of total offense, which is not that much. Right. That is just running the ball for 150, which again, not that much. And Joe Milton throwing for 250, which again, not that much. And Rutgers allowing 400 or 418 on the year, 400 should be achievable. So if they can't get 400, this game's not looking good. I'm right. just going to be honest. So if like 400's very achievable, I feel like a fairly low bar that needs to be done this week. Because if not this week, when are you going to do this? Penn State. Yeah. Penn State the week after. Um, Penn State still has a lot of talent. I know they're 0-4, but Penn State still has a lot of talent. They do. And I'm sure James Franklin would love to not be the guy on the bottom of the Big Ten like he is right now. So that's my bold take. Matt, what would be your bold take? Sort of similar, um, <clears throat> except mine is based on the score. My confidence level in this isn't super great, which is why for me it's a bold take because um, I don't know if I fully believe it yet. But um, I'm going to say that Michigan wins by two touchdowns. Um, and the reason I say that is because I we, we have to. So you're going into a game where you're playing Rutgers with Greg Schiano, first year. I mean, he's returning from his past. Um, he's a head coach before at Rutgers. He's returning. So it's not like he's brand new to the scene. He's, Rutgers is familiar with him. But, you know, you're a reeling Rutgers team. You have a chance to knock off a reeling Michigan team. So if we let these guys hang around or lead us going into the half, I think it gets... I'm, it sounds really strange to say it. I think it's really ugly really quickly as far as we get into a fist fight with this with this lower tier team, less talented team, and then the game and then the game's in question. I oh, think, this game is hundred percent going to be a fist fight. Which well, yeah. is sad to say, but it is. Right. But I would I I would like to think that Michigan still has you know, this game is where it's back and forth, but then but then your team is sort of always sort of ahead. Mm-hmm. I really like to see that and eventually I'd like to see Michigan pull away. And show some confidence is really what I'm getting at here. My bold prediction is that Michigan wins by 14 and gets some of that swagger back. Um, and you know, is it gonna make all, is it gonna make all the other ugly losses disappear? No, or make it, at least show a pulse, please. Right, or it, I mean, I think we've shown a pulse. It's just consistency. Show that you can come out, put together four quarters of a respectable football plan. Offense and defense, maybe you're not dominating, maybe you're not, you know, putting Rutgers in their place, but you're at least playing respectable football. You put together a complete game where you're able to pass, run, and score. And then, conversely, hold them to less points than you score. So, it doesn't sound that bold, saying that Michigan's going to win by 14 against Rutgers, but in 2020, that's I think it's a bold prediction. So, um, my final score prediction... Um, it's actually changed a couple times here. Initially, I was thinking it would be a bit of a closer game, 28-24, but 
to support my bold prediction, I'm going to say that Michigan wins 21 to 35. Okay. And even that sounds pretty bold because that has Michigan scoring five touchdowns. But, um, yeah, I'm going to say Michigan 35, Rutgers 21. And I think Michigan doesn't pull away until late. I think it's probably closer to 20, you know, 21, 14 going into the third quarter, and then Michigan kind of ends up pulling away with it. All right. So I'm going. So the astounding thing is we haven't mentioned this earlier. I mean, it's kind of alluded, but. Do you remember four years ago when we played in New Jersey against Rutgers? Was that the Jabril game? That was seventy-eight to nothing. Yeah, as Jabril. Four years have as passed. Jabril Peppers' homecoming. Four years have passed, and we are expecting a nail biter game. <laughs> and Man. Rutgers hasn't gotten better. People, they are still bottom of the barrel. So I'm expecting a fairly close game. Uh, Michigan, th- th- this has to be the game they do something. Anything, please. Just do show something on offense that is any form of consistency. So I'm going to support my offense gets it together. But I, the defense has been exposed. There's a template to how to beat Don Brown. Yeah. It was shown by Ohio State a few years ago, and it had been only the great teams doing it. Now any team can do it. Mm-hmm. So I expect Greg Schiano is foaming at the mouth at, with an, an opportunity to beat Michigan at night mm-hmm. in New Jersey at home. This would be a huge win for him. Yeah. Quote-unquote year one, as he has been the Rutgers coach before, but... First season back, this would be a huge win yeah. if he swept the state of Michigan. So I'm expecting him to have some things up his sleeve, but I'm going to believe that Josh Gaddis does what he was hired to do and gets this offense in gear. And I'm going to go with Michigan wins 38-31, which shouldn't be too bold to say we can put up 38 points on Rutgers. But it feels like it. Like Rutgers is averaging, allowing... 34 points a game. And that was with Indiana and Ohio State pulling off the gas and just letting it coast. So 400 yards, very achievable. 38 points should also be fairly achievable. So I'm predicting a Michigan win tentatively. I'm not overly confident with this, (laughs) which is sad to say that, again, four years ago we beat Butkers 78 to nothing. And this year we are believing Michigan will win, but honestly, I'm going to say our confidence confidence in this win is not very high. I'm so, about 50-50 going in. I could, I could see us winning. I could also see us losing. If Michigan can just do what they have shown they can actually do, right. they should win this game. Like play to their strengths like we've talked about. Interesting storyline that you just mentioned. Um, yeah, first of all, Shiano would sweep the state of Michigan in the Big Ten. Uh, with a win over Michigan. And Michigan has really eaten their lunch with recruiting and getting star mm-hmm. players out of New Jersey. Uh, Dwayne Ford was a high, like one of the top recruits in New Jersey when we got him. Peppers was obviously top in the nation, but was from New Jersey. Rashawn Gary was from New Jersey. So um, we've got a lot of the guys out of their little, you know, sort of regional area. I remember before Chris Ash got fired, his whole thing was fence the garden was his mantra, meaning, you know, 
yes. keep our guys home. So it would go a long ways for Shiano long term with a win over Michigan. Um, like it did for, what was his name? Um, the one year under Hook that we lost to him. I have no idea. Yeah, way back when. I, but Grant Nova was the quarterback. I remember him. Yeah. Um, also but, in that game. <laughs> but hey, this Rutgers. this game has eerily similar vibes to that. Mm-hmm. A struggling machine team against a Rutgers team who even has a pulse. Even though they're 1-3, they're playing better than most people expected them to. Yes. So it has a dicey feel to it. It could go, we could walk in, it's like, oh, we're pleasantly surprised with how Michigan's bouncing back. Or we could go in, and it looks the same as the last couple games where we struggled out of the gate. And then we never quite get our foot, feet, footing underneath us. So here's to hoping. Um, that's kind of what we've been reduced to is just sort of hoping. Um, we will be cheering for Michigan on Saturday night for a win. Uh, chanting hail from the bleachers as always. But we'll see what happens, people. Um, if you are unaware, um, we've mentioned it. It will be a night game. BTN will have the coverage because this isn't a big enough game to be on any of the bigger networks. Um, so we'll be... Well, every Big Ten school has to play at least one game on Big Ten Network. Well, I just don't, I just this don't, just happens to be a game that's I just, not I just, thought of, so they threw it on there. I just hate BTN. BTN, we love that you are an option for us to be able to watch games. I just don't like your coverage. I'm glad you're there, but I don't like your I just coverage. wish you guys would. If you could just condense all the games into that football 60 and just have that be the live action, that would be great. Because <laughs> yeah. having the full game in 60 minutes is amazing. It is amazing. So, yeah, BTN will be coming at you. 7.30 is the scheduled kickoff time in Piscataway. And, uh... We will see you guys there. Uh, As always, go blue, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Screw you, James Franklin.